0: Hello and welcome to Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And if you haven't been following this story with us, well, Activision Blizzard is having one heck of a week. In yesterday's video, we talked about the Wall Street Journal article entitled Activision CEO Bobby Kotick knew for years about sexual misconduct allegations at Video Game Giant. We went over the facts in that article about how there were effectively three different pillars on which Mr. Bobby Kotick's leadership at Activision was being attacked. The first, the knowledge element that he wasn't having adequate communications with his board of directors. The second, the allegations, of course, themselves, the article is filled with stories and data points about how Activision was dealing with some of these allegations within its corporate infrastructure. And the third, which as I discussed yesterday, was actually something that I felt was perhaps the most important in terms of problems with leadership at Activision Blizzard as of this moment in time was how Jen O'Neill, the appointed co-head of Blizzard, was treated of three months ago and how Frances Townsend, who was put under fire by all of these Activision Blizzard employees because of the note that she sent out, was likewise treated. So three different planks, board, actual allegations, and the treatment of high-level female executives at Activision Blizzard formed the basis of this article. But while I did that analysis yesterday, as is the case with stories like this all the time, a lot of things happened in response to that article. So, welcome to a video on the aftermath. And it just goes to show you how long this series has gotten and how bad it's been for Activision Blizzard that I had to go through this playlist, Everybody vs. Activision Blizzard, and figure out what words I hadn't used. I thought about calling this walkout. Nope, I used that one. I thought about calling this one fallout. Nope, I used that one too. So aftermath it is, I'm starting to run out of descriptive phrases for what is happening at this company. We'll see how it goes for the remainder of this playlist. But for those of you that are just interested in the financials, the aftermath includes, of course, the fact that this dip that we saw yesterday when we were making the video actually preceded a little bounce and then went further and further down. So you get to today, you're having a little bit of a fight over the valuation here. We'll talk about why that might be towards the end of this video, but suffice it to say, it's been a rough year for Activision. It's been a rough year in its entirety, not just because of stock price, of course, but because of the microscope under which the corporate governance question has been asked. So as i said yesterday as we looked at in the video one of the major problems from a corporate governance standpoint was the question of whether the ceo who is appointed by the board who sits under the board is performing his services at the discretion and presumably under the supervision of the board of directors was adequately communicating the level of issues that he was seeing at activision blizzard and i have to be honest with you the article itself is not suggestive necessarily of an answer one way or the other. You see all these data points, you see the problems with California, you see the EEOC settlement, but there are circumstances that one could imagine that would suggest that Activision Blizzard was handling these situations for the most part in an acceptable fashion. Now, I certainly agree that the picture painted is suggestive of the fact that that was not the case, but you are pulling data points from a number of years in a 10,000 person company A lot of those data points actually end in the article with this person was fired within two months. This person was otherwise handled, taken care of at Activision Blizzard. You have some that suggest that Bobby Kotick intervened in a way that would be potentially problematic. But in a lot of those, you have a circumstance in which a bad thing happened and the company appears to have investigated and gotten rid of that person. The legal standard here is not that the company has to be perfect. The company has to take reasonable steps to protect its employees, and it has to react when bad things happen. So from a legal perspective, from an ethical perspective, the question becomes, did those steps happen? And I think anybody could read those articles and say, no, they didn't. This is a problem. This is a problem with leadership. goes all the way up to the top. I have no problem with that. But it is distinct, just looking at all those data points, from the certainty that Activision Blizzard wasn't handling things properly. So I want to make that known because we're going to talk about how the board of directors responded to this. And this is important because as I said yesterday, the board of directors has its own legal obligations, right? We pulled apart this short form article from Skadden, another major law firm in the United States, just to point out that overall, the duties of the board are legal obligations to the shareholders, that they have a duty of care. Care requires informed deliberative decision-making based on all material information reasonably available. If they are sufficiently incurious, if they're getting reports from the CEO that don't quite look right, that they aren't asking questions, that they aren't going through the steps that are necessary to give oversight to the way that the company is operating, then the board itself could get in trouble. Right, Skadden advises board members to ask questions, examine assumptions, gather and review all material information. So the circumstances of that Wall Street Journal article are, is Bobby Kotick hiding things from the board? Is the board incurious about the reports that they are getting and whether or not these two bodies would essentially try to throw each other under the bus? What we saw after that article went out was the board taking at least its first public step to backing up Bobby Kotick. They said the Activision Blizzard board remains committed to the goal of making Activision Blizzard the most welcoming and inclusive company in the industry. Under Bobby Kotick's leadership, the company is already implementing industry-leading changes, including a zero-tolerance harassment policy, a dedication to achieving significant increases to the percentages of women and non-binary people in our workforce, and significant internal and external investments to accelerate opportunities for diverse talent. The board remains confident that Bobby Kotick appropriately addressed workplace issues brought to his attention the goals we have set for ourselves are both critical and ambitious. The board remains confident in Bobby Kotick's leadership, commitment, and ability to achieve these goals. Now, I think that's fine. The board has cast its die somewhat. I would also note from an outside perspective that in general, if you have to have some kind of management body giving you a vote of confidence in the public eye, things are not great. If you're familiar with sports in America at all, Right before a general manager is about to be fired, generally the owner of a team goes forward and says, oh no, we have every confidence in the ability of the coach or general manager or whoever to do the job that has been put to them. By the time you're at that moment in time, there are significant fractures in the support. There's an issue in the public eye. And that doesn't change just because of a public statement like this. The board could easily say, oh, new information came to light, et cetera, et cetera. So Bobby Kotick, is already on somewhat uneven footing that is very unusual for his career path and his position at Activision. But certainly it's worth noting that rather than the board coming out and saying, we were aghast that all of this happened, we don't feel like we were properly given information and just throwing the CEO under the bus, that didn't happen, which at least ostensibly from the outside looking in strengthens his position a little bit. Now, as you might imagine... That strengthening of the position didn't go over well in a lot of quarters, especially at journalistic outlets like Polygon, Bobby Kotick must resign, and even more especially internally at Activision Blizzard, at least with respect to the ABK, a better ABK Workers Alliance, where they tweeted out almost immediately under Bobby Kotick's leadership, the company has been accused of mistreatment, sexual harassment, rape, and a death threat made by Kotick himself. The board is just as complicit. If they let this slide, it's past time for Bobby to step down, and then they called for a walkout. We have instituted our own zero-tolerance policy. We will not be silenced until Bobby Kotick has been replaced as CEO and continue to hold our original demand for third-party review by an employee chosen source. We are staging a walkout today. We welcome you to join us. Polygon was again on the scene to talk about this. They said workers are calling for CEO Bobby Kotick's resignation after the journal reported that Kotick not only knew about employee misconduct, including an alleged rape, but minimized its severity to Activision Blizzard employees and its board of directors. Company-wide, hundreds of Activision Blizzard employees and contract workers signed out of work at midday today. More than 150 people showed up to protest at the Blizzard campus in Irvine, California, with dozens more outside Activision Blizzard's Quality Assurance office in Minnesota. Now, 150 people might not sound like much. It's an odd thing during the pandemic. You don't know where people actually are. Certainly, it is suggestive of at least a strong and vocal minority within the company that feel very, very seriously about these issues. And in all honesty, this is 150 people walking out the same day, within hours of the article actually being released. So it's not insignificant, even though the number might be smaller than the earlier walkouts, and I think it's worth taking note of because as you talk about Bobby Kotick's position, I had so many DMs come into me asking whether he would be fired. The thing I tell people is that when you've got a company that is so associated with a personality, Bobby Kotick is Activision for all practical purposes since the 1990s, that when you have that connection, the conservative assumption should always be that he's going to weather the storm. Doesn't mean he will, but... The percentages tend to favor him. Now you've got a board statement. You've got a Wall Street Journal article that might well wind up being picked apart by Activision. They'll be determining their kind of PR and crisis management strategies behind the scenes right now. But you do have a number of sets of stakeholders that are causing additional pressure to be put on the CEO and the board and the company itself. And that includes employees. It says, multiple employees told Polygon they're disappointed and frustrated by the company and the board's response to the journal's report, which the Call of Duty and Overwatch publisher said was a misleading view of Activision Blizzard and our CEO. And I actually had to go find where this quote was from. Apparently, Activision Blizzard put out a video of Bobby Kotick, what's described in some places as shortly before the article was released by the Wall Street Journal yesterday and in a couple of other places shortly after. But either way... You do have this line here in the middle of this video presentation that says there will of course be continued media attention about us and our industry over the next few months. In fact, there's an article today that paints an inaccurate and misleading view of our company of me personally and my leadership. As I've made clear, we are moving forward with a new zero tolerance policy for inappropriate behavior and zero means zero. Any reprehensible conduct is simply unacceptable. Unacceptable. And so you do have employees that get, hey, this is misleading, framed a little bit better than the initial reaction to the California lawsuit this past summer, but still fundamentally the same message, where you have Activision Blizzard leadership, for the most part, denying the severity of what these outlets are putting out there in the world. And I can't sit here and tell you that the framing of some of these things isn't at least a little suspect. Right. We talked about this yesterday, but this is an anonymously sourced article. This is framed specifically against Bobby Kotick. That's what these reporters found to be the appropriate framing. I can't disclaim that. I wasn't a part of these interviews. I wasn't a part of looking at these documents. That might well be accurate, but with so much anonymous sourcing, with so much anonymous access to documents that would appear to have been leaked from important sources, it's very difficult to say whether or not the correct steps were taken for any given data point, And with respect to things like communications to the board when we don't know a lot of specifics. So I can understand and even empathize potentially with this message if you feel put upon and railroaded, but I do have to question whether or not that's the message that should be going out from the company and its leadership in this particular circumstance. It's fine to feel like the media has it in for you. It's less fine to make that your public position to the employees that are looking at this and don't know any better than I do. What the nature of those stories from 2006, 2007, 2008, 2020, 2017, all these various years that are coming up in that article and references to the California lawsuit and beyond, they don't know what they don't know. And you have a leadership that's going out there and continuing to essentially say, hey, you're being gaslit by all of these places. And it becomes less and less easy to just trust that statement. So I'm not sure they're taking the appropriate approach here. I'm obviously not in the room, so it's difficult to say, but you do have this continued aftermath. I don't think they're handling a better ABK in the fashion that they should be, but we'll have to see as things go forward. Now, I did mention as part of all this that The Wall Street Journal clearly had access to leaked materials. As you might remember from yesterday's video, one of the things I mentioned was the most bizarre of those leaked materials was an email that they had access to that co-lead at Blizzard, who is leaving at the end of the year, Jen O'Neill, sent to a lawyer at Activision, which limits the possibilities of who in the world got this email over to the Wall Street Journal, right? Activision surely wouldn't have leaked this. This talks about unequal pay, about Jen O'Neill being very unhappy within a month of her appointment, all things that make Activision look terrible. In fact, I think they might make them look the worst in that article from yesterday. And yet it's in the hands of the Wall Street Journal. And you can see in this article from IGN that Jen O'Neill clearly feels very strongly about what happened here, which may very well be justified, but it does continue to look like she might well be one of the sources for that article itself. So in this article, they're talking about the pay disparity that we mentioned yesterday. It says, Jennifer O'Neill wanted to resign in part due to issues that included being paid less than her male counterpart, Mike Ibarra. Ibarra has now told Blizzard employees he and O'Neill asked for pay parity together, but O'Neill says she was offered an equal contract only after resigning from the role. So after that gone video that I did where Jen O'Neill went out publicly and said she was leaving at the end of the year. Yesterday, Ibarra responded to allegations in internal messages separately confirmed by multiple Blizzard employees. And now I can sit here and actually tell you, I can confirm that as well. I got reports of this particular Slack exchange from a number of people, not including my brother, who I can tell you now, the reason I haven't been disclaiming him is because he is no longer working at Activision Blizzard. I won't be commenting further on that, but I don't have to disclaim his association with the company any longer. The messages, screenshots of which were viewed by IGN, were posted in a public Slack channel and directed to Blizzard employees. It says, hello, Blizzard. Please see the email I sent this morning. This is a difficult time for all of us, et cetera, et cetera. I have been asked and want to make it clear. Jen and I shared with management that we wanted to be paid the same to co-lead Blizzard together. Now, Mike Barr is the other co-lead. And in the article in the Wall Street Journal, when we're talking about Tilt, when we're talking about bias, the email from Jen O'Neill could have been read to suggest that Mike Ibarra played hardball, asked for more money than Jen O'Neill, got that, and Activision Blizzard went forward with it. So this Slack exchange is, to be frank, Mike Ibarra trying to cover his butt with his employees that he'll be leading at Blizzard going forward, and him saying, look, we never asked for that disparity. I asked to get the same amount as Jen O'Neill. As a leader, equality in its broadest sense is something I 100% stand behind. I will be sending out a video shortly. Thank you and know that I am processing today's news and struggling in areas like many of you. So Mikey Barra goes out there, a little bit of CYA to his employees, says, look, I didn't ask for more money. When another employee expressed confusion as to why leadership would reject the request, Ibarra added additional context. He said, Jen and I were both on existing contracts. I ran Battle.net and online products and she ran Vicarious Visions, so our pay was different. Now that's worth noting just internally that Battle.net and online products was valued more by Activision than all of Vicarious Visions. The first time both Jen and I were offered a new contract, it was the same across both of us for the new co-leader of Blizzard roles, so our compensation was going to be the same. This sentence doesn't talk about the timing of that contract offer, which is what this article is all about. Jen O'Neill takes this very negatively. She goes out there and responds to this particular Slack channel. You see the email reference here to her talking to Activision's lawyers saying she felt tokenized, marginalized, and discriminated against, and then said, Jen O'Neill, in this Slack channel, she doesn't want to be involved in a debate, but that she hadn't received an equivalent offer until after she had tendered her resignation. When Mike and I were placed in the same co-lead role, we went into the role with our previous compensation, which was not equivalent. It remained that way for some time well after we made multiple rejected requests to change it to parity. It remains unclear as to why Activision Blizzard rejected those requests, that's IGN. While the company informed me before I tendered my resignation that they were working on a new proposal, we were made equivalent offers only after I tendered that resignation. So, there's a couple of ways to read all of this. I think all of which are at least a little bit legitimate. One, Activision Blizzard might be the stupidest company on earth. They're being sued for unequal pay of females and males operating in similar roles. And they named Jen O'Neill and Mike Ibarra to the exact same role, and they didn't have pay parity at that moment in time. Now, Mike Ibarra's explanation for that, hey, we were getting paid differently for our different roles before then, totally checks out to me. That makes a ton of sense. But... You really can snap your fingers if you're Activision Blizzard and you're putting people into that role because you're in a crisis scenario where people are dropping left and right and you're trying to right the ship and get people to believe in Blizzard. You can snap your fingers, raise the lower pay to the higher pay, increase them both, whatever it is that you're going to do, and just have that be an interim period where they get that additional money because you need them to be paid equal under an equal role title at that moment in time. Instead, they didn't do that. Now, I think if you want to believe in Activision Blizzard, if you want to be on that side of the equation, I will tell you a big public corporation dealing with pay issues under threat of a lawsuit wants to be very careful about its human resources, wants to be very careful about how it drafts its employment agreements and its offers to make them equitable, et cetera, et cetera. And so in a completely separate circumstance where you're not in a crisis, you're not dealing with this, I can see... How a big, giant, bureaucratic corporation says, well, we will get your new contracts to you shortly. We need you to take these roles right now. Both sides agree. And then they get the contracts within, I think it's three months or so. Not terribly unusual when you're talking about internal lateral movement of people that already work for you. But that completely skips the scenario of what is happening today. And so I can't help but think that Activision Blizzard was silly. Now, by a time a month passes and Jen O'Neill is sending emails about how she feels tokenized, marginalized, discriminated against, wants to resign, you've got another problem with that entire offer process, right? You have to be very careful at that point in time. She's expressed that she might not be the person that you need her to be in that role from a corporate perspective. That's not saying that anything she says is wrong, but when you're talking about what your future going forward steps are, that probably slows up the contract process as well. So, is Ms. O'Neill proper to be complaining about these things? I think yes, especially in the context of the situation that this was in. Is she expecting this to happen a little faster than Activision Blizzard was comfortable with? Probably also true, because it doesn't seem like Activision Blizzard throughout all of this has the proper crisis communications, has the proper PR, has the proper thought process for what is a new world order for them since the lawsuit was filed this last summer. And they just aren't responding to these things on the level that they need to be responding to them on. So when we look at this, I think you can see it from both directions. I tend to side with this being absolute stupidity on the part of the company. Snap your fingers, change those pay rates. You don't even have to change the contract terms. Just say it's interim. We'll get you formal documents later on. And the fact that they didn't do that, quite frankly, looks very bad. And and looks very bad for especially... The California complaint, which again is all about pay disparity and treating women differently than they treat men. Which leads us to our last news item in the aftermath of all this, which went live just a few minutes before I started making this video. The Washington Post has an exclusive group of Activision Blizzard shareholders join call for CEO Bobby Kotick's resignation. A day after Activision Blizzard employees staged a walkout and called for the resignation of Bobby Kotick and several other executives a group of Activision Blizzard shareholders with a total of 4.8 million shares is similarly asking for the company's CEO resignation in a letter to the company's board of directors. Now, if that jumps out at you at all, and why I highlighted it was that 4.8 million shares, it's because you're not given the appropriate context in the initial paragraph here. 4.8 million shares, it's a big number, but it's not a big number for the actual number of shares that are outstanding at Activision Blizzard, right? If we look at this, we see there's roughly 783 million shares outstanding at Activision Blizzard. So 4.8 million is a drop in the bucket. That doesn't mean this story isn't important, but it does kind of frame it a little bit. The other thing I will say about this story is that this is to be expected. When you've got a scenario like the Wall Street Journal article going out there, any investors that are going to be coming from an activist perspective, from a strategic perspective, not necessarily for financial gain specifically with respect to their interest in the company, but to affect change at that company are going to seize on news items like that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what activist investors are designed to do. But it should come as no surprise that this is in fact an action from, such said, activist investors, strategic organizing center investment group, which we have looked at in the past, formerly Change to Win, on their own page says holds corporations and their leadership accountable for irresponsible and unethical corporate behavior. This is what they are designed to do. They've got 4.8 million shares essentially that they can bring to bear in this letter. They're asking for Kodak to resign. They're asking for Brian Kelly and Robert Morgado to retire from the board of directors by the end of the year. We looked at the identity of the board in yesterday's video. You saw that these that are particularly named are a little bit closer to insiders. They've been at Activision forever. They're a little bit more Subject to what Bobby Kotick tells them, I would imagine. Shareholders said in the letter that if Kotick, Kelly, and Morgado don't step down, they would not vote for the re-election of the current directors on the board at the next annual shareholder meeting in June and would urge other shareholders to follow, which is at least a bit of an unusual step. In a giant public corporation, you get the company itself offering a slate of directors, most likely going to be the same as the current slate of directors. The shareholders essentially agree to that. And if there's a problem, those shareholders do things like this, send a letter like this, say, we're going to withhold our votes. Sure, 4.8 million can't keep this down, but we can potentially make it public. We can get an article in the Washington Post. We can have conversations with other investors, and maybe this starts to affect change at the company. Or as the executive director of SOC said, after the new revelations, it's clear that the current leadership repeatedly failed to uphold a safe workplace, a basic function of their job. Activision Blizzard needs a new CEO, needs a new board chair, and a new lead independent director with the expertise, skill set, and conviction to truly change the company's culture. We need to really have a reset button on the board. This SOC executive director said he would like to see Kelly and Morgato replaced with diverse directors and at least one of those seats to go to an Activision Blizzard employee that is not an executive. Then you get into some wonkiness with this letter. The letter was also signed by Australian retail fund Future Super, Canada groups NEI Investments and Shareholder Association for Research and Education, Share, and an Australian fund for women, Verve Super. Share and Verve Super did not return inquiries about how many Activision Blizzard shares they own at all. And all of these numbers don't amount to even that drop in the bucket, where the Washington Post now points out that investment management company Vanguard holds 64 million shares and BlackRock holds 58 million. NEI, which is signing this letter about the shareholders, said they hold only 100,000 shares right now. Share does not hold any, presumably, shares in Activision Blizzard, but said it signed because the investment service is concerned about the developing story. A statement from Future Super said it discussed with the Communication Workers of America, that's the union that's backstopping a better ABK, about how best to support and decided to sign. So you see a circumstance here where I'm not even positive all the signatories to this letter hold any interest in Activision Blizzard. You've got an activist group in SoC, formerly CTW, that does this for a living. And frankly, in other circumstances, is fairly easy to ignore on questions like this because this is what they do. This is expected if they're an investor in your public company. But combine all of these things together and you start to get a story that can't be very comfortable For Activision Blizzard and its leadership, for the board of directors and those board members that have been with the company forever, for even Bobby Kotick, who seems pretty much unimpeachable in most circumstances, this is a point of what I would describe as maximum pressure on the CEO. I would still, if I were betting on this, bet that he survives all of this, but it becomes increasingly unlikely as things continue to add up. So we'll have to see how it goes. Certainly the aftermath here is very interesting and will continue to be so. Remember, we still don't have an answer from Activision Blizzard to the California lawsuit itself. That is very likely to make public waves and we'll see what happens when it does. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy conversations about the business and law of technology, video games, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon and other ways support us Listed in the description to this video. Otherwise, just subscribing and telling your friends that we're here, upvoting, downvoting, putting us in forums, wherever else you might find yourself, every little bit helps. If you watch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.